Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Secret Birds HQ podcast. And this is episode 16. And today we are joined by Monique Mayers. Hello, Monique. Hello, hello. It's so awesome to be with you today. Thank you so much for being with us. And Monique is a serial entrepreneur and business strategist. And Monique, so tell us a little bit more about you and what you do. Sure. Well, I started off, probably my first business was when I was 12, and I wanted to sell candy to kids at school because my mom had a flower shop, and it seemed like a great opportunity for me to sell candy to kids. <laughs> and that's when I realized that I had a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And working in my mom's shop, I kept seeing opportunities again. So I noticed that people who bought flower arrangements needed a card to go with it. So my mom had bought me this, um, this CD, you know, back then when software came on CD, she bought me this CD that I could make greeting cards. And so when people came into the shop, I would go, hey, you need a greeting card. And I would make a greeting card for her. And mm. that just really evolved. Like me just following that, I see an opportunity. What can I do to solve this problem has really led me to some very interesting places over the years. So that's why I consider myself a serial entrepreneur. I've worked in multiple fields mm-hmm. outside of my, you know, young adventures. My first business was a skincare company that I started just because I had moved back to Barbados from Toronto and got really used to these professional products. And they were like $140 a bottle when I got back. And I would go, mm-hmm. there's no way that I'm spending that kind of money on on a hair product, so I'm going to learn to make it. <laughs> and how, how old were you when you started your first business, Monique? I was 22 at that point. I was 22 when I made it a business. Okay. I was dabbling in it for about a year before that. And everyone should know you are originally from Barbados. So yes. shout out to all the BIM listeners. BIM, BIM, BIM. Okay, so carry on. Yes, tell us more about your serial entrepreneurial adventures. Yeah, so I I ran my skincare company for five years, and then I realized, like all good business owners do, you come to a point where you look at your business and you decide, hmm, is this really the life that I want for myself through my business? Because you, you look at the work that you do, the time you put in, the return on investment, and you kind of have a moment where you say, well, is it really worth it? And for me, that moment came at two o'clock in the morning. I had a mixer in one hand and a jar in another, and I was making one single product for a customer because they wanted this specific fragrance that I didn't have in stock, so I had to make it. Right. And that was like the moment when I realized this cannot be my life. (laughs) Mm. And so, you know, getting to that point, after being in it for so long, I kind of felt a little bit, bummed about making that decision but at the end of the day I knew that there was a next for me and that next wasn't immediately very clear but eventually it led me to starting a smartphone app for the first offline travel guide for the Eastern Caribbean Mm. it led me to creating a, a really great ice cream store and it's led me now to work virtually for clients all over the world from my laptop here in Toronto or wherever I decide to be. <laughs> okay. So, so it really has been a journey. So tell us more about the ice cream store. That sounds interesting. Was that in Barbados as well? That was in Barbados, and we ran that for three years. It was um, 
kind of a moment I was having a, a date with my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband. Mm-hmm. And we were sitting down chatting about what we could create. And we saw a need for this, this particular type of business in a specific area. Mm-hmm. And literally within one month, so four weeks from that night that we sat, we said, maybe we should open an ice cream store. We opened our doors. And mm. from then until when I moved to Canada, that business was incredibly thriving. We had people standing in the road <laughs> on a weekend just waiting to get their ice cream. Nice. Yeah, it was one of my favorite businesses, but again, you know, I've come to learn the importance of looking at the lifestyle that you want as a business owner, especially in this day and age where technology plays such a big role. Brick and mortar businesses are wonderful, but they are incredibly demanding. Mm. As you can imagine, you know, you may have, like we have staff and neither of us used to really work in the store. Mm. We'd help out, but there was always somebody who opened and closed. Mm Even with staff, you still had to go to the store every single day, seven days a week to make sure that things were taken care of. Because, you know, when you lose that presence, you kind of, people tend to do what they feel like instead of what they should do, Mm. you know. Definitely. A big part of that, like, I never realized that before, but in talking to people, they'd always say, oh, you're so brave for, for doing that. But it didn't seem brave to me. It just felt necessary. Right. You know. So most of your businesses, you've started and then you've decided, okay, this isn't working. And you just closed it down and you moved on to the next thing. Yeah. For the most part, it was me coming to a place of, I've grown beyond where we are right now. I've grown beyond this, this idea. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. That is, that is, I can see why people would say that's brave. Because I think, depending on your mindset, some people may think, oh my God, well, did you close it down because you, it was failing or, or you didn't just, you didn't want to do it anymore? Or you understand where I'm coming from. I think people would kind because most people would think, oh, you want to just have a business, it'll be successful, and then maybe you'll sell it or something. But your reasoning is just, you assess and you believe it's not, it's not working for you. So you just move on. And that's, that's really healthy and refreshing, I think. I think it's important to do because, you know, why should, why should you stay in a business? It's, it's like a job for me. When mm. a business becomes a job, it's time to move on. Yes. That's my philosophy, at least. Because it's no longer play, it's work. Exactly. Mm. Like, I am a creative. I love to build new businesses. Like, that is my fun right there. Like, getting something started, designing it, branding it, marketing mm. it, that is my sweet spot. My sweet spot isn't the day-to-day operations um, operations and that like that whole journey is what it taught me like I have to learn what it is that I really enjoy mm. and the other thing is that when you decide to be a business owner and it's not an easy decision because I think it's so much easier to go to work every day and know that you're getting a paycheck that's going to pay your bills it's reliable it's consistent it's a big decision to say I am going to create my own money yeah. But when you do that, it should be fun. It should allow you to have more life in you as opposed to feeling like your life is being sucked up. Philosophy is really what guides me in making my decisions, whether day or even continuing a client, because I've I fired clients before 
because it was not making my work fun anymore. It just wasn't a good relationship and not nothing against them specifically, but my work needs to be fun in order for me to give you my best. And I realized that. So adjust accordingly. Mm. And I think also there's something very healthy about not being so attached to something whereby you, you feel like you can't close it down or you can't walk away from it. So that's really good too. Cause I think a lot of entrepreneurs get so attached to their projects, their babies, as they call it. And then they become so controlling and they just, even when it's unhealthy, they can't step away from it. So that's really good. I think that's a good thing. Yeah. I, I think that because we, you know, just to go back to that, not that attachment, I love every single one of my businesses. It's kind of like dating, I suppose, mm. where you, you, you love and appreciate what you have. Mm. but you know that it's just time. Like there, there comes a moment. I can think of a moment in every one of my businesses where I was like, yeah, it's time to move on mm. for, for the ice cream business. For example, my, my boyfriend and I, my husband now, um, we decided we're going to take a vacation. So he's like, let's go on a cruise. I'm okay. I go, I buy the cruise. It's 14 day Caribbean cruise. Mm-hmm. It's our first time taking time away for, for those three years that we have the business, right? Mm-hmm. And we go on vacation and every port we go to, we're like trying to get Wi-Fi to call in and see how the business is doing, make sure that the orders were placed. And it was like consuming our vacation. Mm, oh God, no. When it eats into <laughs> your holiday, it's not good. Yeah. And so, you know, that was kind of the, the thing, like, okay, we need to find a different way for this to work. If not, it's not going to work. Yeah. And um, we kind of did. We did get someone who would eventually go on to manage the business and so on. But that moment, like just seeing us chasing down Wi-Fi, trying to get stuff organized, that was the moment that was like, whoa, this is not really the way that it's supposed to be. Yeah. That's when you have to kind of reassess your business model and look at your systems and, and make some changes, don't you? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And that's a good segue into, into what you're doing now because you are a business strategist as well. And everyone should know that you are the founder of Idea Alchemist, a name that I love, by the way, <laughs> Idea Alchemist. And um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. But first, let's discuss your theme. So Monique, you're going to share with us today Beyond Fair. So tell us a little bit more about going beyond fair. Sure. Well, you know, I having built all these businesses and even within my business, making pivots and decisions to make the business what I wanted it to be, there's always been some element of fear, you know, even in making the decision to move on to something new, you think about your customers, you think about your family, you think about, you know, who's going to be disappointed. You think about, um, okay, well, I'm shutting down a revenue stream. How am I going to be able to take care of myself? There's always stuff that you can be afraid of as a business owner. As a person alive, there's things to be afraid of. And as a business owner where you are dependent on your work to, to bring in money, then there's a different level of fear as well. And in my work as a strategist, I work with women, mostly women, who mm-hmm. are in a place of their business where they love the work that they do, but they're not getting paid enough for it. Mm. And there might be lots of reasons why that's happening externally, but internally it really comes down to one thing and that's fear. It comes down to fear of being successful, fear of failing, fear of putting yourself out there, 
fail of affair of um, building something that's bigger than you can control. And so the reason why I chose Beyond Fair is because I want people to see that fair always exists. And you can't allow that to stop you from having what you want. Yeah. Do you think with women though, because you focus on women, your business centers women, do you think it's sometimes it's, it, it, okay, in addition to fear, let's say, it's also just maybe that women have a humility about them that comes naturally versus with, oh, compared to say men who are a bit more, you know, men have testosterone, right? And testosterone is all about conquering and doing it big and all of that stuff. So it's a bit more ego driven. Whereas with women, it's just, most women are just happy to just kind of get on with it, do the job. They don't, they don't really want the praise. They kind of want to be humble. Or do you think it's all fair? I think it's funny that you use that example. So mm. I know a lot of ego-driven women. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Yeah. I mean, there's no absolutes, right? But you know, like men are, testosterone is, is the main hormone for men. And testosterone is definitely about achieving and conquering and doing it big. <laughs> so that's I think, why I just use that as an example. Mm-hmm. I think men and women have a different approach. Yeah. But the truth is that the thing that holds women back is, is in their head. It's their story. Mm-hmm. It's the expectation of who they're supposed to be as a woman and who they're supposed to be as a woman in business. Mm-hmm. And, you know, these are things that we inherit from our parents. These are things that we learn from TV and from our friends and family and and we, culture and culture as well because some cultures absolutely. tend to tend to prefer a more low-key approach and then there's some cultures that are very much you know if you're not out there if you're not in people's face then you're not doing it you know yeah and you know like when you talk about that I notice a difference between my Caribbean clients and myself right. and my American clients and my Canadian clients mm. so <laughs> oh tell us about that because it's all in the Americas but obviously the approach is different yeah. yeah. Well, you know, what I notice is that you find Americans tend to be a lot more willing to be out there. Oh, yeah. Right? American culture is all about being big, being confident, being better, being bold, you know? Yeah. So there, a lot of their fear usually comes around being judged by how they're out there. So they're not, uh-huh. af- they're not always afraid to be out there, but they're concerned about when they put themselves out there, what's coming back to them. Mm, That's interesting. Okay. And then versus your Canadian and Caribbean clients? Well, I guess because we have the British influence, I've noticed that with the Caribbean people and Canadian people that I've worked with, we tend to be very afraid to put ourselves out there Mm. because it's not proper. Like, it's not polite. It's not it's polite. Not polite. <laughs> it's not polite to toot your own horn. No, very true. And it's not, well, not very true, but about the culture, you know. Um, and it's not, you know, you should make the focus about someone else and not about you. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And, that, so, and I think that's, a, that's definitely from Brit- Britain. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. you'll find like Americans will talk about, you know, I just did a $100,000 sale and they'll totally brag about it and they'll own it. Mm. And then the Caribbean people will be doing, or, or Canadian people will be doing, like, really cool things. And they would just be like, oh, I had a great day today. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's so reserved. But in this age of media and wanting to connect with people, it's really, I notice that there's a lot of pressure on people who are primarily introverted to be more extroverted, to put themselves out there and 
what I find a lot of my clients tend to struggle with is how to put yourself out there without feeling, without being uh, ingenuine. So yeah, disingenuous. Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I can no, relate to that. I can relate to that. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I just wanted to say using myself an ex- as an example, because you did my website. Hello, everyone. Yes, Monique did do my website, but we will give you her details afterwards so she can do yours as well. And I remember when we, um, when we first had our conversation, I was like, I don't want the community to be about me. And mm-hmm. And that was just like, I want it to be about the women because I feel like that's so important. But then there was another side of me that was like, but every community needs a face and every community needs a brand. And that was a big uh, struggle for me. Like, how much do I put myself out there? Now, I don't know if that's because I'm from the Caribbean and I've lived in Britain for a long time or if that's just fair or, or whatever it is. But I was very conscious of putting too much of myself out there because I felt like if I'm building a community for women, it should be about the women. But I also recognize that people need to know there is a face. And even now, I'm still quite like, okay, you know, don't, don't do too much. And not, I'm not as paranoid about it as I used to be, but I, I struggle with it as well. So I'm sure there are lots of other people that do. Maybe even more experienced business people still struggle with that. I don't know. I don't know why my, where mine comes from, though. Maybe it's a combination of fear and, and culture. Yeah, I think it's, you know, deep down, there's just some story that tells you it's not safe to put yourself out there. Yeah, that's probably a bit of that too. And I think also, because I know for me, in the back of my head, I'm always thinking, okay, if I do, if I do this, then people are going to be like, hmm, why is she, da, 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 da. So it's like that little voice in your head. Yeah. <laughs> but then you see other people doing it and you're like, oh, but they're doing it. And I think it's just finding that balance, you know? I think the, the, way, the way to move beyond fear is really to go through it and to look at what it is that you're actually afraid of. Because mm. a lot of the times we'll say, well, I don't want to do that. But you don't really analyze why and you don't analyze the consequence of you doing it. Like there was, I think it was four hour work week, which is probably one of the most. Ah, Tim Ferriss. Love I have mm-hmm. every single book. Like my laptop ah. currently popped up on Tools of Titans. I love his work. Okay, yeah. I didn't know that he was suicidal. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah, until I saw um, a TED talk that he did. But yeah, it's a different matter. But yeah, he's he's an impressive guy. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that he talked about, I think it was in Four Hour Work Week. I'm pretty sure, was the idea of looking at the worst case scenario of doing what it is that you're afraid of doing. Mm. And that's something that I've carried with me ever since I read the book, because whenever I feel like, oh, maybe I shouldn't put this out there, or maybe I should um, not release this until later, or what, and I have any kind of hesitation, mm-hmm. then I start to ask myself, like, what is going to happen? Like, if I do it terribly wrong, what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? And then I started to think about what my recovery plan could be from that situation. And so by having a mental recovery plan, even if I never use it, it gives me some sense of comfort that it's okay for me to go. It's kind of like when you go bungee jumping and there's a, a net <laughs> underneath that can mm. kind of catch you. And then yeah. you combine it to different things. But there, you know, if you jump off a building and there's a net to catch you, you, you don't need the net. But just knowing that it's there makes you feel a little more comfortable jumping. 
Yes, yes, definitely. You know, something something just came through my mind. Um, I think for Caribbean people, and just and and because this community focuses on emerging markets, so a lot of the people in here are or who would subscribe or who are interested are coming from developing countries, global south countries where there's a lot of culture and heritage and that kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. And I know being from the Caribbean, the islands or the, most of the islands are or nations or what have you are quite small, and communities are tight knit and they can be very judgmental. So I think Mm -hmm. some of that fear comes from that. But I also think when you come from heavily, I guess, if I could describe it as cultured communities, there is a lot of judgment, like they're tight knit, everyone's close, and people are constantly judging each other. And I think that could be um, a source of the fear because you you grew up in that environment and it's inside of you. And I think like comparing it to a place like the US where the culture is so different and no one really cares, like there are things you can do in America that you could like, you couldn't imagine doing them in the Caribbean. You know, like people would just look at you like, okay, she's totally lost it. <laughs> you know, and I think that's a part of it. Like just tiny islands, tight-knit communities, lots of gossip. And I think that puts that fear in you of, okay, everything you do, someone's going to watch and someone's going to judge. And I think being female, that's even adding an extra element as well. I would definitely agree with that. And I know like one of the reasons why I wanted, why I decided to move to Canada was because I wanted to feel more anonymous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. You yeah. know, living in Barbados and everybody knows, like by the time you get home, everybody knows who was in the front seat of your car. Uh-huh. Where you, went. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I really prefer the ability to be a little bit more free here. And so I can totally relate to the idea of you know, that fear of judgment holding you back. Yeah. What I realized, though, a long time ago is that no matter what you do, mm-hmm. there will always be people who judge you. There will always be people who don't like you. There will always be people who have something to say. Yeah. And you know, if you think about just like, look at all the celebrities, like Rihanna is a perfect example of somebody who always gets criticized. Oh, yeah. But people yeah. Who, like, I love Rihanna, but there's always somebody who has something to say about her. Yeah. And it, because she's in the spotlight. So she gets judged a lot. She does. She does. Yeah, but we all do. You know, mm. people are more vocal because like more people know her, so you hear more judgment. Mm. But we're all being judged. Like I'm sure that people have something to say when I decided I'm gonna dye my hair bright red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love your hair by the way. I like the colors. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, but you know, like there's there's always gonna be some story, and it's either your story that you tell yourself or a story that other people have told you that you've overheard and you really can't let that be a determining factor like if you are happy with the person that you are yeah and you know maybe not even perfectly happy but at least happy with who you who you shaped yourself to be in that moment and that's the most important person's opinion you know what i mean like yeah because we we will always find something to say about one another it's unfortunate but that's just how it is but i think that's how human beings are wired because we make sense of the world through judgment right and when we judge it's based on like a reference point so i'm judging you based on what night what i know or where i am or my experience and i do that to make sense of the world you know what i mean so i feel like it's a natural thing to judge but i think sometimes we we need to stop ourselves and say, wait, am I being too judgmental? I don't know. What do you think? Um, whether it's natural or not, I can't say. I think mm. that I wish, however, that we would be more supportive. Yeah. And 
and find less critical things to say and more positive things to say. Like you can always find um, something negative to say about someone or something. I'm sure that I'll have lots of critiques for myself about even this conversation we're having. Right? right. But what can you celebrate in that? And if we as a society, we as women in particular, we as Caribbean people in general, mm-hmm. could find ways to consistently find the good stuff. Yeah. And then we would all elevate upwards. You know, there's mm-hmm. this there's this book that I read called Wabi Sabi Love and it's about the Japanese it's a it's a play on Wabi Sabi, which is like the Japanese art of imperfection. Mm, okay. And what I love about it's like about finding beauty in imperfect things. Right. Yes, yes, of course. Mm. Yeah. And I think that that's a philosophy that I wish was more widely adopted. I think it would be the key to people being a lot happier and more people taking risks because you no know, judgment, fear of judgment really does hold a lot of very creative people back. Yes, it does. It certainly does. Mm. No, I, I, do want, my, I want, I want, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, you no, know, I do my best with the people that I get to meet and work with, yeah. but we can only reach so many people. And so it, we, we each did our little part to help. I want, I want to dissect this a little bit more because I feel like, okay, as an example, when you, I feel like the more you expose yourself to things that are different to you or to things that scare you, it makes you less judgmental. So like, okay, let's say you growing up, you, you were only surrounded by people who looked like you, sounded like you, and then, you know, you started traveling and meeting different people. I think that helps you to become less judgmental. Uh, so I feel like the more you push the boundaries in your, in your own personal life and the more you expose yourself to things that are different, it makes you more tolerant and then less, maybe less judgmental. Um, but I also feel like, you know, I've met people who are like extremely highly educated and well-traveled and worldly, but they're still judging. So I, I, that's like when I said earlier that is judgment maybe how we make sense of the world. I'm just curious as to whether you think we can ever eliminate judgment. Like if that's something like, can people honestly stop judging? Because it's a big factor in fear. Judgment is like a major factor in fear. I think that if you replace judgment with curiosity, we would go, a lot further mm. and for me I I definitely can be critical yes yes and I yes. think okay. the difference between being critical and being judgmental because critical you can say well you know maybe you should have structured that sentence differently mm. but judgment is you sound really stupid when you speak like that you know mm. yeah yeah there's a totally different vibe to it and it's a definitely a negative vibe when yeah. you're critical, you help people to be better. You can yeah. transform the result. But when you're judgmental, you're, you're essentially pulling them back down to wherever they are. So it's like, you know, that whole metaphor of crabs in a bucket where mm. if, if, when you're judgmental, you are not helpful. Yeah. And so that's what, I, I don't think we can eliminate it, to be honest. And I, I'm a huge optimist. So for mm. me to say that will say a lot. But the truth is that that behavior is learned and it's passed down from generation to generation. Oh, absolutely. Because so many of us grew up with parents who are highly judgmental. I mean, I, I, I have friends, for example, who 
And it also, it's embedded in some cultures where it's like, if you don't study a certain type of degree, or if you don't have a certain kind of job, or you don't marry a certain kind of person, like there's just a lot of judgment. And I think, like you said, it is definitely learned. You learn from your parents, your grandparents. And sometimes it's hard to break away from that, again, because you're scared, you know? Yeah, I felt that way when I first started my business. Like, I didn't mm. think that my friends really understood mm. what I was doing. I had a really good job. Well, yeah. I, I use that in air quotes, but yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I was fortunate enough to finish my undergrad, go straight, like I left Toronto, went straight into my job the, the second week after I landed in Barbados. Mm. And I worked there for three years in my field. That's yeah. unheard of. I have friends who graduated with me and still are not working in their field. And what was your field, Monique? Tell us what you studied. So my undergrad is in environmental studies and my master's is in coastal and marine resource management. Okay. Sustainability. Yes. Good. Wonderful. <laughs> Wonderful. Okay. But, but you don't do your current work doesn't focus around that now, obviously. No, no. When I was doing my master's, I realized that while I loved what I did, there wasn't going to be a space for me to do what I loved after graduation. And it was actually at the point where I didn't even want to finish my, di- my thesis, my dissertation, whatever, mm-hmm. because I was like, it's, there's no point. There was only one place that I could work when I graduated. They were not hiring. It's government. And mm. um, I couldn't see the consulting firm that said, hey, when you're done, we'll hire you. Shut down before I graduated. So, <laughs> and this was back in Barbados. This was in Barbados. Mm. And, and so I, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I realized that, yeah, you know, really noble idea, but this is not going to be the thing that makes me happy because I would probably end up doing something partially related, which is exactly what happened. Mm. Um, I ended up working in consulting, but using just a small subset of the knowledge that I had and never really doing the outdoor kind of work that I had envisioned when I decided to do my degrees. And so, yeah, like me deciding I'm going to leave this nice, well-paying job apparently it was a well-paying job I didn't realize that it was Um, but I'm gonna leave this nice cushy job and start my own business making products in my kitchen and selling them to people like what like really yeah Uh, you know I got a lot of people didn't understand they thought that I was just at home she completely lost it this one yeah, they, they, thought I was nuts. they thought that I was just at home watching TV all day and sleeping all night and never doing anything. Yeah, they never saw the work that went into it. But I knew what I was capable of. I knew what I could bring to that company. And I figured if I could bring that to somebody else's business, what could I do for myself? Mm. It's a right. totally different field, but the ethics the mindset, my attitude, my commitment to research and, and improvement, those things all come through in the work that I do today. So it sounds like you have taken, you've amalgamated everything. You've got your obviously highly educated, you've got your degrees, you've got lots of experience, you've built businesses, and you've brought that all together. And now you're you're doing strategy, which is focused on women. So tell us a little bit about what you do as a business strategist. Tell us about Ideal Alchemist and just tell everyone about your different websites and how they can 
how they can reach you and, and, and so on. Sure. So Idea Alchemist is really a, a name, like it was my job description for many years mm. because I use, people come to me and they say, oh, I'm thinking about doing this. And then I go, oh my gosh, you could totally do this, 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 and this is how you get it done. <laughs> right. And so by me being the person to help them figure out how to go from here, have an idea to, I have a business that makes money and sustains me and my family. Um, that's essentially the process that I do every single day with all of my clients. Usually what people come to me for is a you know, really, really normal pathway to me is by wanting to have a new website because they think that if they have a website, they'll start to make more money and they can, that, you know, that magically begins a business. Mm. And what I usually tell people is that the website is your starting point. Right. So it's your hub where people come to and then we build the revenue on top of that hub, so mm. it's not all automatic. Um, I started working with people directly a couple of years ago, mostly because that same misunderstanding where you know, there was this expectation that you just create a website, boom, I have a business. And mm. they didn't understand you know, content creation, connections, um, creating a funnel, and I you know, air quotes for that too, because Funnels are different things, but they didn't understand all the other little elements that they needed to have in place in order to make it a business. Mm. And, you know, I got kind of frustrated helping people in one area and seeing them struggle in another. And I decided, well, let's, let's kind of bring this together and combine strategy and implementation. And so what I do now is I help my clients through, move through their fears of, getting to that next level because that next level usually involves things like what you're doing, John, you know, content creation, marketing, yeah, yeah. networking, yes. and having those sales conversations as well, you know, getting in front of people who actually need you, letting you, letting them know that you do what they need and also letting that translate into new business for your company. So yeah. that's, that's really what it is at the core I, I still, through Idea Alchemist, I still do many other things. So I am in the process of relaunching my skincare line okay. as well. Okay. And it's really just a good platform because I have a team that can support me in getting all the ideas that I have and that my clients have out into the world. Okay. And then you've also got your Monique, Monique Mayer's website. You used to be Welch. I think you're Mayer's now. I always get confused. Yes. <laughs> I still get confused. <laughs> okay. I guess one is your ma married name and one yes. is your, okay. So I okay. got married almost two years ago now. And Congratulations, newlyweds. Thank you. <laughs> and it's been a, a bit of an adjustment to move from Welch to Mears because I've been, you know, Welch my whole life. Yeah. But um, Monique Mears is really just a place, right now it's a place where people can learn how to work with me directly. Okay. Um, it's also evolving into a, a bit of a platform for the female business owner who wants to have those conversations about what it's like to really be a business owner with lots of different ideas and interests. Yes. And so I decided to make that particular website a little bit of an online home for me and people like me. Yeah. So 
<laughs> so this community, Secret Birds, as you know, it's um, the purpose of this community is to empower, encourage, and inspire women and girls um, to get into entrepreneurship. And all the women in our community are either in the pre-startup or the startup phase. So how would you work with them? Let's say they're listening to this podcast and they're interested in, they're at the beginning stage or they just have an idea. Just give us, give us sort of the the, lay, uh, the layout or the sequence of how, of what would happen. So they would make contact with you, you would have a conversation, and then what would happen after that? What, what, what are the kind of things they should be thinking about before they approach you and that kind of thing? Well, I always tell my clients to think about the problem that you solve for other people. Mm. And you know, once you go to my website, there are kind of like three paths that you could take to work with me. Okay. Of course, there's like some free training that you can get to help you understand like the overarching business model. Yeah. And that includes understanding the problem you solve, who you solve it for, what you're going to offer, how you're going to solve their problem, and working through that process. Yeah. So that would be like at the first level, that free training where they can get that information. For people who are very clear on what problem they solve and they're ready to solve that problem for more, more customers, then I have a program called Simplify, which is designed to help them to take the business model that we build together and put it out into the world. So start to drive traffic to it and start to generate new business. So I'll work with you on deciding what your marketing model is going to be for your specific business and for your customer base. Yeah. Getting clear on who those customers are then how to have those sales conversations with those people to make sure that they're right fit for you. And then we'll get into what to do to scale up and grow your business from there. So, you know, at a higher level then I do have other services, which would be like a group mentorship program right. and then a year long mentorship as well. Okay. But for, for this audience, no, definitely it would start with something like simplify where you're just learning, you know, what the right business model will be for you because the reason even why I created it is because I found that there were lots and lots of courses out there like how to use Facebook, how to use Instagram, how to um, get started online, but nobody really told you how do you pull all those things together in order to have a profitable business. And right. so that's the intention of the training that I provide. Okay. And if they want to reach out to you, they would come to the Idea Alchemist website or the MoniqueMayer.com um, website? MoniqueMayers.com is probably the best way to reach me because that's kind of like a hub for working with me in this particular area of, of service. So if you're wanting to learn how to scale up and grow your business or even get started, then MoniqueMayers.com would be ideal. Idea Alchemist is really for people who have uh, they're already in business and they're wanting to have support in terms of web development, branding, marketing, like mm -hmm. actual implementation support. But if you're not really showing your strategy, right. So in terms of fair, beyond fair, how do you remain beyond fair? What do you do? What are your strategies? I have a couple yeah. One of them involves harassing my husband. <laughs> okay, okay. Every time, every time I'm afraid of doing something, he kind of looks at me. He's like, we've been through this before. <laughs> mm. And so that's super it's helpful. It's good to have that. It's good to have that. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, I also work on having a daily meditation practice so that I can stay grounded and focused because mm-hmm. a lot of the times when you're really in your head and you're listening to, you know, like you're on Facebook and you're looking through the news feed and you're seeing other people's stuff and you start to judge yourself, you know, that creates fear. And so by kind of yeah. going inward and, and meditating a bit, that helps me to stay focused on what's true yeah. and kind of block out the stuff that is not my stuff, if that makes sense. Right. You know, and then having a support system, though, like I, I joked about my husband, but truly like not just him, but I have other business owners who are really good friends of mine who will remind me of the things that I'm afraid of that are not really, they're not really monsters under the bed. You know, <laughs> people have overcome these, you can overcome them too. And they kind of just remind you of who you are. You need to have people in your corner who can kind of get you in check when you're in your head. Definitely. So now that we're near the end, Monique, what inspiring parting words do you have for our lovely birds on fear? Face the fear, look it in the eyes and walk right past it. Mm, I like that. And that's very simple. And you can remember that. So face the fear, number one, look it in the eyes, number two, and then walk past it, number three. Yep. Like that saying, feel the fear and do it anyway. You kind of have to, you have to feel some discomfort in order to grow, you know? If you're feeling, if you're not feeling fearful, if you're not feeling uncomfortable, like I, earlier this year, I made an investment in my business that was scary. Like I could not believe I was making a commitment to spend this much money on my business. Right. But it was the best decision I made all year. And a lot of the things that you do will feel incredibly scary they will make you want to throw up (laughs) because they're so huge for you and that's to me that's a good sign that you're doing the right thing absolutely so if it feels good i know we the community in london we have a lady um who is a coach natalie costa and one of the things one of their her quotes is if it if it scares you it's some it's definitely something that you should be doing and that always um I've always got that in my head so that if right before I do something or if I'm thinking about something and it makes me feel a bit nervous I'm like okay yeah I need to do this (laughs) because um yeah sometimes there are things that just feel perfectly right like my ice cream business felt perfectly right at the time we ran it for three years until I moved and it was perfect but so I don't want to discount those moments as well, where you know with every single fiber of your being that this is the right move. There yeah. are times when you have that feeling and you still feel afraid. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, you kind of have to know, it, I think it just depends on how big a move it is for you. Yeah. But you will definitely, you definitely will feel fear when you're making big moves in your business. It's totally normal. To, to feel that way that is perfect and that is a great way to end our show today so thank you so much for joining us i know you are a very busy lady and i really appreciate you giving our community some of your time really grateful for your um for your words today and for your interview so thank you thank you thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure being here with you Yes. And um, hopefully when you start, I'm sure you're going to start more businesses or you're going to work on another project. So when you do, let us know and we would love to have you back. Thank you so much. Our pleasure. Okay. So bye, Monique. Bye, Joanne. Thanks again.